Uh, hi, everyone, and welcome to One Great History, a podcast all about the great and sometimes not so great parts of Winnipeg history. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Alex. And we're joined with our producer and friend, Nick. Hello, everyone. And we are talking today about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart that no one else <laughs> probably knows about, which is the one and only Ginger Stucks. Except me, because I've been exposed to much of this over the years. <laughs> because yeah, you you're friends me. with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I am, the name until you told me about Ginger Snooks. I am the I'm... sole Ginger Snooks promoter in this city, and that <laughs> changes today. Um, so, for some you... quick information. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Alex... I was going to say, weren't you once asked if you were writing a thesis on Ginger Snooks because you knew so much about him? <laughs> yeah, it's both a source of pride and deep embarrassment yeah. would be how I would describe this. But for those who don't know, Ginger Stokes was kind of like a local celebrity in Winnipeg at the turn of the 20th century. It was just an all-around really weird guy. And I think it's sort of indicative even today of, like, Winnipeg's weird celebrity culture. Because we still have very weird characters. Yeah, like local celebrities. The guy yeah. who, like, plays that instrument in front of Portage Place all the time that sounds... Oh! I shouldn't yeah. say mean things about him. <laughs> okay. okay, but you know he plays that instrument badly. You've heard people play it better. I've heard play people play it better, yes. So I thought I would ask, actually, who is your favorite local Winnipeg celebrity? Just to sort of tell us what Winnipeg celebrity culture is like now. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love that guy. <laughs> I've got a real soft spot for uh, Rod Peeler, the realtor who never sleeps and looks a lot like Rod Stewart. Oh, That's yeah. His whole gimmick is that his hair looks like Rod Stewart. Okay, here's the thing. There's There was um a Winnipeg famous podcast that interviewed him, and he actually did Rod Stewart impressions for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Win Winnipeg famous realtors, we also always got brochures at my parents' house for... There's one realtor who has the most incredible hair. It's probably like a good mm. six inches off her head. Bright pink <laughs> lipstick. That. Oh, I know who you're talking about, and her name is just like one name. I forget what it I, is. I can't but... remember her name, but like, I unironically yeah. love her because she's making a statement and she knows what her look is. So, yeah. we get a fun... picture of her and Rod Peeler on our fridge when I lived with a couple of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> Real estate agents are the celebrities because they advertise on like bus benches and billboards. And it's always like, I'll see like, there's the Lou Furlan team, the, the Lou Furlan yeah. and Margolis team. And then it goes back to just Lou Furlan. And you're like, <laughs> oh, what happened between Margolis and <laughs> Furlan? Like, but um, my actually, was, uh... oh, fun sorry, history fact is realtors um, advertise with their faces because there was so much like real estate scamming back in the day. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because huh. it's like, I'm Todd. a real person whose face you know, I won't <laughs> run away with your money. <laughs> Maybe. Um, my favorite was a guy who didn't use his face. He used a caricature. It was Todd Niblock. And his whole oh. gimmick was, we'll help you move. And it was this caricature, like a giant head. And like a tiny body and he had like a moving truck. <laughs> and me and my friends would uh, get inebriated and call his like, we thought it would be him, but it was his answering service, I guess. Like, because he wasn't Rod Peeler. He did sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good times. So, yeah, there's sort of a thing, I think, with being a constant presence, really contributing to how famous you become in Winnipeg. And I think probably everywhere. Like, there was a summer in town, or in Winnipeg, where there was a guy who dressed up like the monster from Aliens and just sort of walked around doing normal everyday things, and he became a <laughs> bit of a stir for a while. He would be my runner-up favorite, because he went tango dancing at the Forks, and no one ever thought it was weird this guy was doing it. <laughs> oh, there, like, was, uh, 
Sorry, there was yeah. a hat guy. I'm what? just going to say the guy with the top hat? No, this was a uh-huh. guy who wore like about 15 hats. Oh. And they were all stacked up. And he used to come into, when I worked various stores at St. Mattel Mall in like around the around the year 2000 or so, he would come in and he was hat guy and he just had all these hats. And like no one ever asked him about it that I knew of. It just would like come in and he'd buy his record at hmv or whatever and he'd leave and but yeah he had like all these like baseball hats and like funny hats and they were all just like like carefully stacked i don't know if they were stuck together or what but huh yeah yeah so hopefully by now you understand winnipeg is a fundamentally weird city and we don't question (laughs) nearly as much as we should (laughs) which i think brings us all the way back to ginger snooks and it probably it's worthwhile starting with how i stumbled across him because this is Oh, yeah. How did you stumble across him? This is weirdly a not a personal story to me, but it's been a thing I've talked about for years now. So actually, initially, I had heard about Ginger Snooks on a tour with the Winnipeg Trolley Company. They mentioned him as like an offhand joke when talking about the Winnipeg General Strike. And then I was doing research for something else and his name came up and I was like, what do I know this from? And then I looked into him and quickly realized that if you just like look him up in the paper, there's normally something really weird (laughs) and like noteworthy so i started saving these ginger snooks files thinking like this could be a tour maybe or something i don't know there was something i wanted to do with it but never quite figure out what right so i want you guys to guess how many ginger snooks files i have saved as of today (laughs) oh no uh 47 62. Wow. <laughs> it's still too many is what it is. 47 was my high guess too. So that's that's too many. It is. It really is. And I'm not proud of it. But here we are. I finally found an outlet for all of these things. Yeah. I did actually write Ginger Snooks into um, a tour once. And yeah. Yeah. People love him. Good to- He's good tour content. Yeah. So basically Ginger Snooks was a Winnipeg sanitation worker or garbage man at the turn of the 20th century and then slowly achieved this very weird level of local celebrity due to his very, like, big personality and his constant presence at City Hall. (laughs) And he was basically referred to as the scourge of City Hall for much of his life. (laughs) And the thing I probably should note is that there's not a... I don't know how much of what I'm going to be talking about is actually true. Because Robert right. Snook himself was pretty prone to exaggeration. And the paper that liked to report on him was also very prone to exaggeration. Yeah. So going back to like 1900, there's three Winnipeg papers. We've got the Free Press, the Telegram, and the Tribune. And the Tribune didn't have telegraph wire access to the outside world. So they were really stuck with local gossip. And they would then send people out into the street on a slow day to see what people in Winnipeg had to say. And often they would find Ginger. <laughs> because he normally had an opinion on something. So it's just like a and shortcut to something to write about. Basically. And then what made it worse is one of the Tribune reporters was also really prone to just lying. Like, to the extent his nickname was the Winnipeg Liar. <laughs> so just a bit about this guy first, because he's also really interesting. His name was Reginald Robertson. And he was a correspondent in Winnipeg for American newspapers who got hired at various times to write for, like, the Free Press and the Tribune over the years. And he liked to make up really weird stories to send out to the American press about Winnipeg. (laughs) So That's a pretty fun prank, actually. uh, Some of his pranks are pretty good. So one of them included saying there was a bad blizzard, houses had been covered up to the roofs in snow, and homesters were actually tunneling in the snow to create dog paths between houses. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then he came up with a different blizzard rumor that um, after a heavy snow, wolves had started to enter Winnipeg and terrorize women and children. <laughs> and according to Robinson, the problem had gotten so bad that the city was actually going to create a perimeter of armed guards to keep the wolves at bay. <laughs> this one caused the Winnipeg Free Press to say that he had caused a great damage to Winnipeg and the country and brought disrepute onto Winnipeg newspapers. <laughs> Those are great because they are plausible. They are. They seem like they might be true. Like, but... Winnipeg right now has a coyote problem. <laughs> yeah. It's not unreasonable. Some of his stories were, though. <laughs> like, his biggest lie was about the sinking of a steamboat on, like, Winnipeg, which killed 400 people. <laughs> and it was actually just an earnest... Well, it started as an earnest mistake, and then Robinson took it too far. So what he was actually reporting on was four deaths. Four hunters had died. Uh, near Lake Winnipeg, and the telegraph company messed up and said 400 and not four hunters. (laughs) (laughs) And then newspapers wrote back to be like, what? How did 400 people die? And Robertson didn't cop up to the mistake. And so he's like, oh, 400 Icelandic picnickers died. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) And then he made up a train ride at one point and like just endless weird, not true stories. Which wound up actually having some real-life consequences. Uh Uh-oh. So, like, if he, say, mentioned a blizzard had destroyed a bunch of grain, grain prices were going to drop. Oh, right. There were were economic impacts to some of his lies. (laughs) And people tried to intervene, including an immigration commissioner, uh, John Obed Smith, who threatened Robinson with prosecution if he continued to, like, lie in the papers. And then Robinson instead wrote a fake story about a Ukrainian man named Obed Smisky who'd gone crazy and cut off his wife's head with an axe. (laughs) So he's like, no thanks. Think I'll keep going. Yeah. And the reason he's really important to this story is that Robinson was normally the one who found Ginger Snooks on Slow News Days. (laughs) So it's genuinely impossible to tell what is real and what is not here. Right. Some of it's corroborated by the free press and, like, later recollections of Winnipeg, but we're going to have to really go on the not-let-truth-get-in-the-way-of-a-good-story mantra (laughs) for this episode. (laughs) But what we do know about Snooks is that he was born Robert Snook in England in 1835. He was given the name Snooks in the paper because they just spelled his name wrong and really stuck with it. (laughs) And he actually immigrated to Canada in 1877, where he worked for the CPR for a while. He moved to Winnipeg in 1882 and then bounced around for a bit, finally settling down in 1887 when he lived in a shack where the ambassador apartment block now stands. He claimed squatters' rights on his shack. (laughs) So it wasn't even his? He just, like, squatted there? Apparently. We don't really know. He just seems to have moved into a shack and been like, this is my home now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you shall not remove me. Basically. And he got his start working as a garbage man pretty early on. So his, the title was scavenger at the time. And initially what he would do is he'd go around to city stables and pick up the manure and then dispose of it. And you can make money off of disposal of manure and then actually reselling the manure to householders for gardening. Okay. So it's not like a terrible job. But Snooks' first big media appearance comes in in 1882 when he appears at City Hall yelling about street inspectors. It's not like an exciting news story, but it's really what kicks off a long-running trend of Snooks appearing at City Hall to complain about things. Right. This is his lifelong career besides being a garbage man. (laughs) 
And you can sort of tell that he'd made an impact in Winnipeg already by 1882 because there's a rumor that he's going to run for city council as an alderman or a councillor. And someone writes in, a solemn warning, a joke which should not be repeated in Winnipeg, that goes on <laughs> to say that Snook's running for mayor or for alderman is a cruel joke that should never be repeated in Winnipeg and it will go badly if it happens. <laughs> So I guess like what that means is like before even he was showing up in the papers, he was like a weird character in Winnipeg. Yeah, he was well known before he started making the news. And then I think it starts to escalate once he makes the news. Right. <laughs> so Snooks for most of his life in Winnipeg was running for some form of office. It was normally alderman, but it would either be, like, school trustee and mayor in one case. This is, like, a recurring theme of his, that he's always trying to get into politics, and he mm -hmm. would never win. The other thing is that he was really, he was very argumentative and prone to, like, fighting. So you hear a lot of stories about him getting into public fights with the mayor, with counselors, or even just random people he sees on the street. Oh, no. So his first official street fight, as far as I can tell, comes his in 1890. First official street fight. That's that bodes well. We're gonna talk about a lot of these. It's in 1893, and the Winnipeg Tribune titles the article Sullivan and Corbett, who were both famous boxers at the time. So it's Sullivan and Corbett in disguise, a pugilistic encounter on the market square. <laughs> so um basically what happens is Snooks runs into a guy named Robert Barker. And the Tribune says the former from what could be learned from the heated epithets and statements recklessly hurled was making charges against Barker of having collected money to which he had no right, Snooks having done the work. Barker denied this and made a statement as to what he would do, but for the restraining hand of the law, whereupon Snooks picked up a stick about an inch in circumference and made for Barker. <laughs> oh, no. Barker took to his heels and ran behind a pile of firewood, Snooks following. <laughs> The chase became exciting when suddenly, apparently to defend himself, Barker picked up a stick three times as thick as his adversaries and stood on the defensive. <laughs> Just when matters were getting interesting, Barker gave Snooks a poke in the ear, drawing first blood. He then threw down his Snook, his stick, which Snooks followed. They clinched and Barker threw Ginger, who rose and apparently by mutual consent, each went in different directions. <laughs> Barker smiling and Snooks vowing revenge. It's expected the story will become will come before the police court. Jeez. So guy so, picks up stick, other guy picks up bigger stick was a big news story in Winnipeg. Yeah. And they sort of like threw sticks at each other in Market Square for a bit. <laughs> so Market Square, just in case people aren't familiar, was a public market, which is where the public safety building used to stand. This was where a lot of, like, public gatherings happened, and there were generally people about, and if you were a tradesman, you were probably there buying material at some time during your day, so Snooks goes in and out of there a lot, which is why a lot of the stories about him picking fights start in that neighborhood. Right. <laughs> but as the 1890s move on, he's actually making a decent amount of money as a scavenger, and he's actually hiring employees to work for him. So here's a question. I guess, like, the city, did it not have its own kind of garbage collection? Was it just, like, people like him going around? It was contract work, essentially. So you'd apply for a tender to do, like, scavenging work in the city would hire you to do that for however long. Okay, and then I guess the amount you made would depend on, like, how much you scavenged. Scavenge or how much you asked the city for. Right. Okay. Because you're pitching yourself to the city. Right. So he's done well enough to actually start in hiring employees by about 1895. Oh, man. And Imagine then... Ginger Snooks being your boss. <laughs> uh, so it turns out it was a nightmare because he's almost immediately taken to court for not paying wages. Oh. <laughs> 
So I would say almost annually he's taken to court for not paying wages. Oh, jeez. Ginger. The, ci- the city keeps hiring him, but he also keeps getting his license suspended for a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a real back and forth. I can't quite figure out about why they kept hiring him. Was there no one else to do the job? I guess probably, like, getting manure is not the funnest job. No, but he actually winds up doing stuff like laying fields for a cricket court in Fort Osborne or helping, like, pave streets. Oh, yeah, I feel like you could get someone else to do that. Like, he's doing a decent amount of work helping build Winnipeg on top of whatever else is going on in the paper. Right. Which is a lot, because in 1896, he gets into another street fight. (laughs) (laughs) This time, it was um, an election brawl made up of a lawyer, a vet, and a hotel owner, and some guy named Charlie. (laughs) And... Snook claims to, he says that he could lick any man jack of them for a thousand dollars. He then went to the tallest man and flicked off his hat. Oh no, Ginger. And then the Tribune says the fight ended as nobody knew or could tell what this was all about. A friend hoisted Ginger onto a sleigh who was still punching in the air with his fists (laughs) and his body disappeared around City Hall. (laughs) That's really funny. So it sounds like probably he was drunk. Maybe. Who knows? If if he was just, like, hoisted unwillingly into a sleigh and taken <laughs> away from there. There's no mention of him drinking at any point. This might just be what he was okay. like. Maybe that's just who he is. It's, uh, it's really hard to tell. But around 1897, he starts making a lot more appearances in the Tribune, which is when you really see the slow Newsday thing start to crop up as right. an issue. So... Someone starts going to Snook to ask him his opinion on just things that are happening in the city. <laughs> like, whatever the news stories are like, what do you think, Ginger? And at one point, they ask him what he thinks of the city trying to use an old waterworks system. And what Snook says is, if you join a two-inch bloody pipe to a four-inch bloody pipe, how the bloody hell's the water gonna stop it? What? <laughs> I, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand what he's trying to say. I don't, yeah, I don't know what that means. (laughs) No one knows. But they keep doing it. They keep going back to him and saying, what do you think? And he'll give an incomprehensible reply. (laughs) I'm surprised they never just, like, gave him a column. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anyone wants that. I guess probably he would not have, like, shown up to the newsroom and typed something up. That was not. He probably would have gotten the paper in trouble for slander. Oh, yeah. Almost immediately, because he, in 1897, starts getting in trouble for um, swearing at city council members. <laughs> um, the public employees were, uh, public works employees were digging ditches that brought water closer to his house and then started flooding his house. Oh no. Uh, which you, might have by been which va- you mean his shack. His shack, yeah. And this might have been a valid complaint, but he was swearing at city council members. Yeah. And then in September of 1897, he actually goes on the road because his team was actually hired to go do work in Roland. So they're getting hired to do work provincially now, which is sort of a big deal. But they only make it as far as my hometown, Morris, Manitoba, (laughs) where they stay the night. And then the next day, the horse team gets startled and Snooks gets knocked off of his carriage. And then the horse ran over his legs. Oh, no. Which were not broken. But the horse then crashes to the wall of the commercial hotel, knocks down the wall and moves the cook's stove. What? How flimsy is this hotel? Morris was a frontier town, so it was probably wooden boards. Oh, yeah. 
1897. We don't really have brick buildings here yet. That's way too early. <laughs> and then he takes the train back to Winnipeg with the hotel owner's son, making sure he gets home safely. Jeez. <laughs> Which is quite the story. I'm surprised his legs weren't broken. Like, I don't know how he escaped death. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just sort of indestructible, it seems. Yeah, this is also the first time he got knocked off a horse's carriage and then got run over by the carriage. This happened more than once. Oh, no. <laughs> Not long after this happens, he uh, starts to try and run for school trustee. Okay. This is his sort of stepping stone to city council. And his thoughts on education are as follows. Give him the three R's. Reading, writing, arithmetic. And don't forget to use the stick. Them's my what? sentiments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, so basically, I don't know, learn something, but also beat the children. Yeah, probably. Also, writing and arithmetic don't start with R's. <laughs> well, no, but I always, I've heard that before. The three R's. Yeah, he's doing his best. He's yeah. trying in the worst <laughs> way possible. And in the same interview as the school trustee one, he makes a comment that starts an incredibly long feud. He was complaining about water uses in Winnipeg and how people should use less water in general, which is not a bad sentiment. Okay. But then a reporter goes, but that won't do for the bathroom. You know, we all want baths sometimes, and he's referring here to bathhouses. Right. So baths weren't really a common thing in Winnipeg at the turn of the 20th century. People didn't really have that in their homes, so you might go to a public bathhouse instead right. to get clean. And Snook replied, what, them things Dick Burden advertises? We'll let them do what, or let them, hold on. Well, let them who wants to go to Dick. You'll be making people do their own doctoring next and then scavenging. Essentially saying people can bathe themselves, I think. Okay. The I'm thing not is, quite Dick sure Bird what his beef here is with the baths. No, but the issue comes up pretty quickly in that Dick Burden is also a fairly well-known Winnipeg character right. with similar tendencies to Ginger. And does not love, I'm sure, that Ginger just insulted his bathhouse. No, so uh, Dick Burden... Was his actual name was Richard Burden. He owned a t Turkish bath at the Clarendon Hotel, but his journey to Winnipeg was super weird. Okay. So he ran away from home in Ontario. He joined the circus, which oh. took him to Winnipeg. The circus gets stranded in Winnipeg, and then Burden just stays. Huh. How does the circus so like, get stranded? No, I couldn't tell. I tried <laughs> to look. I couldn't find anything. But he's basically an abandoned circus clown. Okay. <laughs> in Winnipeg. And what does an abandoned circus clown do in Winnipeg? They a make bathhouse. a bathhouse. But um, the Tribune described him as, Dick is a fat, chunky man with chubby, smooth-shaven face and is a natural-born clown. While in Winnipeg, he spent much of his time amusing children on the street as well as adults with his antics. He is no fool, however, though he acts like one. Dick is reputed to be quite well off. So he's like a rich bathhouse owner who does weird public stunts all the time. <laughs> so after this comment from Snook, Burden replies in the paper in an editorial titled A Dire Threat. And he says, in a reply to your interview with Ginger Snooks, I wish to say that I don't want him to patronize my Turkish bath, nor ever did, as I don't think he has seen a bath for some years and I don't <laughs> wish to have my bath sewers clogged up. And I know that he charges too much for cleaning them out. Also, I notify Mr. Snooks that if he comes around the baths, I will throw him in the plunge and drown him like a rat. Yours are burden. <laughs> oh my god, I love just signing that off. Yours are burden. 
Um, it's a very polite and formal death threat. Yeah. After saying I'm gonna drown a man like a rat in a bathhouse. Because he's stinky and would <laughs> clog up my sewers. He's too covered in dirt. What will we do? <laughs> so there's some sort of like animosity between them for a while, and then they bump into each other on the street. Uh oh. Once again, in the exchange district near Market Square. <laughs> And the Tribune really hams this article up. You can tell they had the time of their life writing this thing. <laughs> so the article is titled, Tewksbury Chicken in the Ring Again, His Fight with, Dick's, with Dick Burden in the Lead There Too. They're so calling the Tribune, him, they're calling Tewks, him the what? The Tewksbury Chicken. I okay. think he was from a town in England called Tewksbury or something. Okay. And that becomes his wrestler name. Ah. Uh. And the Tribune says Robert Snooks, who has the Tewksbury Chicken, is well known in the English pugilistic records, but better known here as a promoter of education and general authority on civic matters, had a fistic encounter with Dick Burden last Friday afternoon. The meeting was not prearranged. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, he explains the buildup of the fight, and that the men spot each other on McDermott Avenue. And I'm just going to read the rest of the Tribune piece as it's written, because okay. it is a bizarre piece of local journalism. <laughs> Let's go. Dick looked fierce and commenced to walk over to where Snooks was standing. Snooks walked too. Dick walked quicker. And Snooks ran. Yes, <laughs> Snooks ran. Well known as the familiar walking gate of the scavenger is in Winnipeg, few have had the pleasure of seeing him run, and a description of the notable event may prove interesting if such description is possible. Snook's legs are not knock-kneed, but rather the reverse, especially when he runs. His legs are not shaped like cow's hind legs, but of course bent somewhat in the opposite direction. Yet his movements remind one of that, of the hind part of a cow on the trot. His feet were pointing north and south, or nearly so, when he struck the ground with the heel and ball of his foot at the same time. His long chicken-like neck gently <laughs> slanting to the top of his head looked a full yard in advance of everything else, save his hands and arms, which moved to and fro like huge pendulum pendulums. He was handicapped with a pair of long scavenger boots, fastened together with a rope, and hung around his neck, his legs and feet hanging in front of them. They were heavy with dirt, and Snooks personally was not much cleaner, having just returned from an excursion to the nuisance ground where he so delights to spend many of his leisure moments in contemplation. With all his weight, his pursuer gained course on him. He turned down Albert and Dick, having nearly caught up, drew to the McIntyre rink. Don't you come too close, said Snooks, putting up his fists in a fighting attitude. Dick saw at a glance that Snooks would be no mean hand with his fists, and he hesitated somewhat before approaching. This gave Snooks courage, and a crowd urged the scavenger on. Dick saw Snooks' massive hand, hardened as it was with a long accumulation of mud and honest sweat. <laughs> he noted his powerful arm and long reach, and began to think his chances in a straight fistic encounter might be precarious. Uh -uh. Snooks, on the other hand, gained more and more confidence. Snooks threw a fearful blow at Dick's head. Dick dodged, and Snooks, strange to say, being an experienced boxer, lost his balance and stepped forward, and here Dick, seeing an opportunity, caught him round the legs with his arms and pulled him down amongst the snow. Then, there was a big struggle for supremacy on the ground, but Dick gained it. He got on top of Snooks, and catching him by his goat beard, held him firmly and rubbed his <laughs> face in the snow. <laughs> This maddened Snooks, the idea of having his face washed to such an extent oh. that he swore and used such language that the young ladies who had been attracted on the way to the rink to see the fun had to leave. After five minutes of Burden's weight upon him in wrestling, he had, he had got Snooks out of breath, and Snooks asked Dick to let him go. Dick, also tired, loosened his hold and was rising when Snooks, with a sudden movement, surprised him, and almost before he knew what happened, matters were reversed and Snooks was upon him. 
Nor did the scavenger show him any mercy. His temperature was fair, or his temper was fairly up, and he pommeled Dick's face, giving him a fair number of bruises besides a black eye. With a mighty effort, however, Dick succeeded in throwing him off in both rows and stood glaring at each other. Do you want any more? said Snook. <laughs> I do, Ginger. I I'm do. going to see this thing through, replied Dick as he moved backwards to take his top coat off and hand it to a man in the crowd. Oh, man. Snook also moved backwards to the ring, evidently with the same intention, but no sooner had he gotten clear of the crowd than off he shot like a steam engine, leaving his extra boots behind. <laughs> He's off! He's off! shouted the crowd. <laughs> Dick gave chase. But Snook had got a good start. The scavenger showed wonderful agility, and he went through a yard where there were a number of packing cases. Snook jumped clean over one of them, and after getting clear, he disappeared around a corner, and Dick could not trace him. Snook is no longer a candidate for the school trustee honors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> to have been there. To have been in Old Market Square and watch Ginger Snooks get his face washed in the snow. <laughs> watch this fight between a stranded circus clown and a grubby old garbage man. Could you imagine a newspaper covering a street fight in such a detail? Like, it might just say, like, blows were had, you know? Like, they, yeah. they fought. But this is, like, a play-by-play -play as though we're listening to the fight on the radio or something. <laughs> I would say, I can't imagine any modern newspaper rep reporting on this with the level of glee the Tribune seems yeah. to have in this story. <laughs> I'm um, really hung up on how he runs. The bit about how he runs is an incredible piece of writing. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how to imagine it. In my head, it's like Donald Duck, and I don't know how to explain <laughs> any more than that. I have a very specific imagined image of how that looked but it's very weird like it's just it's not how journalism works today in any sense no, no. and also it's a weird thing to do it's a weird fight um, I feel like there are also just like less street fights today or they're not like <laughs> they're not caused by like petty weird reasons yeah or there's like a couple of punches but I've never seen a grown man face wash another man <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I haven't either, which is a real shame because I would love to see this play out. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of them just run away. Yeah. It's the idea that he backs up like he's going to be continuing the fight and the moment he's clear, he runs. <laughs> <laughs> the mental image there is fantastic. So this basically discounts him from ever being a school trustee member. <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> For valid reasons. He'd be missing out on their reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah. So that's in 1897, and then for a couple of years, he sort of peters out on getting into public fights. But he does try to hold a meeting to advocate for city contractors in 1899. According to uh, the Tribune, only a man, two boys, and a dog turned up. <laughs> <laughs> and a dog. That's brutal. It's a, not a great review. But then as we move into like the 1900s, Snook has become kind of a man of means in Winnipeg. So he branches out into real estate and trucking. What? And amasses a fortune of several hundred thousand dollars. Oh my God. Like <laughs> he is a rich man in Winnipeg. He's just also nuts. <laughs> so he also had like a team of wagons that would help do asphalt paving. So he's helping build the city in sort of a meaningful way, but it's not really what you hear about outside of like, there'll be boring reports on getting like, uh, tenders that will be like we hired snooks to do sixty thousand dollars of this work right and then, so i feel like when he's not being insane he must actually be doing good work it seems like otherwise he wouldn't keep getting hired because there's other scavengers in winnipeg 
because Snokes keeps trying to fight them. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also said that as his wealth increased, his dress and personal appearance became proportionally more objectable. Oh no. <laughs> so it was noted that he didn't often change his clothes after collecting night soil or manure. Oof. And then he would attend public meetings. Oh no. <laughs> and it becomes a public joke that Snook smells bad. Right. Um, articles call him like pugnacious or fragrant. <laughs> but by about 1901, Snook I mean, also says- covered garbage man. It's uh... <laughs> That's really what he is. Yeah. But apparently he <laughs> starts going to bathhouses by 1901 on account of his rheumatism. Ah, uh, well, yeah. probably good. Maybe not Dick's bathhouse, but... No, probably not. The pair may have made up at some point. It's unclear, <laughs> and if they ever became friends again. But he's such a public figure by about 1900 that when he doesn't turn up to city meetings, people notice and write that, like, Snooks wasn't in attendance. <laughs> it is more noteworthy that he is not there. <sighs> huh. I mean, that's nice to be active in civic politics. He's very active. Um, at the same time as this, though, the city of Winnipeg hired a man to supervise Snook to make sure he wasn't slacking on the job. <laughs> which leads to him briefly losing his scavenger's license because the supervisor, a guy named Boynard, claimed that Snooks wasn't working as hard as he was supposed to. And then Snooks charges the guy with perjury. Uh, okay. So I don't think that's how that works. It actually works out in that they do find out that Boynard was lying to some oh. extent. But uh, Snooks' lawyer is a guy named Robert Bonner. And we don't know him at all today, but Bonner also had a bit of a weird reputation in Winnipeg as one of the great theatrical criminal lawyers of his generation. Oh, what it does was that often, mean? He liked to do stunts to get okay. people out of things. But noteworthy, um, all of his clients escaped the gallows except for one. Which was who? It doesn't say. Okay. <laughs> I didn't look that deeply into him because we didn't really have time to go into all of them. I thought the there was a dramatic pause there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wish. If I went to the court records, maybe, but that would take a lot of time. But basically, Bonner gets affidavits from other scavengers that prove that Boynard was fabricating some of his testimony. And then he gets, Stokes gets off and gets his contract back. Right. So maybe he was just tired of, like, trying to follow around, around Ginger Snooks all day. And I think you can rightfully make the assumption, based on what you hear of him in the press, that he probably isn't working that hard. Yeah. But it seems like he's actually kind of doing his job. In the midst of this whole scandal, though, Dick Burden reappears. Okay. With an announcement of a Winnipeg or a European tour. So he's saying he's gone off of to what? Europe. Okay. So I don't know. The thing is, I actually don't know if this happened. Oh. Like, if we're remembering that um, the Winnipeg liar is making these stories up and also... Right. Dick Burden likes to lie. I don't know how much of this story is true. Okay. And I actually think most of it isn't. Because Burden writes a big letter saying that his main re reason to go visit England was actually to visit the ancestral home of Mr. Snooks. <laughs> and in the article, Burden claims that Snook was longtime friends with Sherlock Holmes. And they refer to... Yeah, so we know it's, it's mostly... There. Yeah, and that he's not real. Yeah. <laughs> but the noteworthy part of the article to me is the language is really interesting because they refer to Snook as like the great. As if this is like a really recognizable man. It's Snook's the great. 
Who else could it possibly be? And apparently it's alleged that Dick found Snooks' brother and then gets into a fist fight with him too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that does sound made up, but I do like it. It's a fun story, if nothing else. (laughs) He went to England to face wash his brother. (laughs) (laughs) The feud has not ended, and in fact, it has escalated. (laughs) And I'll face wash your mother too. (laughs) So after Snooks gets a scavenger scavenger job back, he gets a job to uh, build the boulevards on Notre Dame Avenue. And then not long after that, the city places a ban on improper language for city workers. (laughs) Huh. probably because of that's snooks. gonna be difficult for him he gets in trouble multiple times for swearing at things and at people and he's frequently in court being charged with something like that <laughs> like he's either being tried for not paying wages or for swearing at someone <laughs> so i'm going to tell you guys the most ominous ginger snooks headline i found and i'm going to ask you guys what you think it is about because the headline is just mr snooks preparing Okay. <laughs> what do you think he's preparing for? Um, I bet a, another run for office. <laughs> I'm going to say would... the biggest, the, the court case of his life. No, that's a good Man, one too. No, you guys are both, I can see why you would think that, but actually what Snooks says. We've gone too sane, is that the problem? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've actually gone too reasonable here because Mr. Snooks announced yesterday that he intended to take part in a prominent part in the Coronation Day Parade. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Although looked down upon by a certain interested class of citizens, he was as royal as the rest of them. He was going to toss on a red, white, and blue outfit, and he even got a bath beforehand. Wow. (laughs) We don't know if he ambushed this parade, but we know he did actually ambush a different parade. Okay. (laughs) So this is like 15 years later in 1916, Snook gets into a huge dispute with a lawyer, A.J. Andrews, over an unpaid bill. He claims that Andrews is overcharging him. Andrews probably isn't. But Snook didn't want to pay the bill. Right. <laughs> the gist of it. Um, and A.J. Andrews, like notably the lawyer who um, brings, uh, who prosecutes the strike leaders. Yeah. So A.J. Andrews is the head of the uh, like Committee of 1000. This is a big lawyer in Winnipeg. <laughs> and Snook is not having any of whatever A.J. Andrews is trying to pull and a couple of days later, there is a float of nations parade in Winnipeg going down Portage Avenue. And Snook makes a ramshackle float of his own <laughs> with a wagon and a sign proclaiming all lawyers are crooks. AJ Andrews is the biggest one. <laughs> and he joins the parade. And in then his a, like in his like scavenger's wagon. <laughs> in his scavenger wagon. It's not a nice wagon, it's whatever cart he had on hand. <laughs> But they had to hire a policeman to come in and lead him out of right. the crowd. And then he sort of followed the parade for a few blocks and then rejoined. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to actually get a specific police officer to follow Snook to keep him out of the parade again. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's always picking battles he can't win. Did H.A. Andrews respond to that? No. <laughs> too bad. No, I mean, I think he sort of did in a way where he was like, I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best response, but I would love to know what this, like, actual fancy lawyer man thought of him. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I have no idea. I feel like you'd be either annoyed or amused and nowhere in between. Um, But going back to the sort of early 1900s, Snooks get into his fourth street fight now. Okay. 
This time, it's titled Pickaxe versus Crowbar. Snokes and Sawyer, two scavengers, fight with ungainly weapons. Uh-oh. And basically, Snook and another scavenger, Sawyer, use uh, a pickaxe and a crowbar to sort of, like, lightly thwack at each other for a bit and then stop. <laughs> I was going to say that those sound like dangerous weapons, but apparently they're just... No, I think, like, Snook got a cut on his leg that wasn't that serious. It didn't seem yeah. like either of them were really trying that hard to wound each other. They might have just been mad that day. Yeah. There's also, around the same time, an article about Snooks' opinions on women's right to vote. Oh, and it yeah. seems like it is a joke, but it is genuinely impossible to tell. <laughs> so the article opens with, at the annual convention of the independent order of garbage gatherers and scavengers held last evening in the basement of City Hall, there was a full attendance of delegates. Sir Knight Robert Snooks was elected exalted supreme noble sovereign <laughs> grand president of the order by a vote of 13 to 3. Sir Patrick McGarity being his opponent for the honored office. For once in the exalted history of the order, the election of officers was not the principal theme of interest at the gathering. And then it sort of veers into women's rights. And I'm actually going to send you how they describe Snook's like language. Okay. Because the big issue with how they write about him is that they write as if he has the most bizarre accent in the world. Right. And I just want you guys to try and figure out what this says. Oh boy. Man, the Zoom file uploader is not helpful. <laughs> there we go. Also, I have too many notes. Not on Ginger, just in general. Okay, you don't have too it. many notes on Ginger because I don't believe that. Well, I have too many notes <laughs> on everything. So I sent it. I want you guys to just try and read it out loud. Yeah, that is okay. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Snooks, who is an accomplished orator, delivered his address without the assistance of manuscript or notes of any kind. <laughs> Women, spelled W-I-M-M-I-N, said the noted scavenger, has been a given of us wex... Wexation? Wexation. Like vexation, I think. Vexation. Oh, yeah. Wexation and trouble, oh, spirit, ever since the day the day. Cotched Eva running around the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's applaud and general nodding of heads. <laughs> An ensemble opinion had him uh, been uh, bitter and uh, to get a bitter hunted butter in the same plaster, the scavenging and garbage gathering profession. <laughs> That's how I hear his voice in my head is like a prospector. I think yeah. that's probably accurate. Uh, the thing is, he was born in England, so he's got an English <laughs> accent that may yeah. have like skewed slightly Irish depending on how the people like talk about him. I don't think this is how English or Irish people sound. Wow. Yeah, so um, also wait, I love this. Um Eve, okay, I'm gonna read this like a normal person. I'm gonna translate yeah. the ginger snook speak here for you. <laughs> So Eve was a necessary evil, but if we can judge by pictures, she was pretty enough. <laughs> Eve were a necessary evil, but if we can judge by our pictures, she's pretty enough. Yeah. As good looking as the gals is nowadays and, uh, and a hell of a site administrator. <laughs> hey, 
you know what he actually sounds like a character in a coen brothers movie yes, yes 100 100 percent. yes <laughs> oh well, man the free i just said the tribune always describes his accent <laughs> and if you can believe it i had a really hard time finding this article like i had read it maybe four years ago and remember there being a weird one about women's rights and then was like i have no idea how to search this because he spells every word wrong Right. Women is spelled W-I-M-M-E-N. So Adam of Adam is Eve is spelled H-A-D-A-M. Yeah, I wasn't even catching that. I was like, Adam, who the hell is Adam? Adam, Adam, Adam and Eve. (laughs) So that's going on. And I genuinely don't know if he's pro or against women's right to vote. Um, Based on some later evidence, I think he might actually be pro women's right to vote. Yeah, what I'm reading here is um, women are vexatious. Eve was good looking, but women are a necessary evil. Um, And I think with the added note of this probably isn't true because they declare Snook the (laughs) supreme noble sovereign grand president. Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) I mean, I guess that there's probably some grain of truth to Snooks having given some statement on... um... I'm sure he gave some bonkers statement on women's right to vote. Absolutely. There's no way he hasn't said something weird about that. Which probably the Tribune reporter noted down as Snooks says something insane about women. And then he's like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to fill this in later. And then he did. And then, so by the time we hit about 1903, you're going to see the level of which Snook has become a thing in Winnipeg because they st- people start using him for marketing purposes. Oh. <laughs> like a brand a, ambassador? Basically. So um, a cigar company actually mentions Ginger Snook in one of their advertisements in the paper. So it's titled About Ginger Snook. The old man only uses Florida water during election times. We gave the gent a Lucina cigar the other day and he bit off the wrong end. <laughs> this is not the first time Ginger made a mistake. We make no mistake when we commence to sell Lucina cigars because the sales got larger every month. He's a wooden company. That's hilarious. So he's essentially the opposite of an influencer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Ginger smokes our cigars wrong. So you know we that know they're th- too fancy for him. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the first time Ginger's made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> And then after this, he gets in trouble for illegally dumping soil in St. Boniface, despite the lack of a junkyard there. The city actually defends him in this and gets him out of trouble for that. But the main dump in Winnipeg was actually along Saskatchewan Avenue, and Snooks had a major hand in helping shape Winnipeg's main dump for many years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's important. It is a big legacy, actually, because a dump is an important part of, like, public health, right? Yeah. If you're not throwing garbage in your backyard you're probably going to be a little healthier. Generally, yeah. (laughs) And by this point also, Snooks is a genuinely wealthy man, which means that he can start giving money away pretty frivolously. So he actually starts, he funds a new wing of the Winnipeg General Hospital. He buys new suits for hospital interns, and he actually got fur coats for some of the nurses there. Oh, well, that's all very nice. As he gets a little older, he's in the hospital more and more. And he tends to be, from what nurses recall, a difficult guest. <laughs> so he was like either cursing up a storm or trying to like kiss the nurses. Oh yeah. But then he buys them like elaborate gifts and funds them and actually defends the hospital in court a few times and they get in trouble for not treating people properly or whatever. So and that's nice. Like he's like 
not the best like person to have around but at least he like tips well basically yeah and actually <laughs> someone does ask him why he's so nice to hospital staff and if he thinks it's worth it and his response is yes too blankety back blank bad because he swore right but listen when people like that will put up with an old man as mean as i am and as rough and be so kind there ain't nothing too good for him <laughs> wow right <laughs> kind and weirdly self-aware so like, I, th I think he knows what he is maybe yeah <laughs> so also i don't know how you would like become like a press figure and not at some point realize you're kind of a mess of a person yeah <laughs> and then in uh, 1911 his wife dies oh he was married yeah this is the big twist is that he was <laughs> married this entire time <laughs> oh man do you think his wife was like painting his protest signs for him or do you think she was just like okay ginger you go have a nice day i don't really know what i managed to find out is that he married his wife carolyn gibb in england in 1872 and they were married for 41 years wow so she like immigrates over with him and is in winnipeg with him this entire time every time he's doing this he has a wife and he has four children whoa <laughs> oh man his poor kids Dad's yeah the paper again I'm probably getting doing, bullied at school. Doing something. Who knows? So when uh, his wife Caroline dies, the free press makes this note that um, she was an aged pioneer and she was one more link of the past and the present that was snapped yesterday. And while she never tried to take a prominent part in any organization in Winnipeg, her kindly disposition caused her to have a large number of friends and be well thought of in the city. So like his wife is well liked. I, nice. you know, and I appreciate that they like didn't drag her into all of Ginger's weird stuff. No, I tried to look her up and I can't find any mention of her in the paper outside of her death. So probably she was just letting him do his weird stuff. Yeah. And there's some mention later on too in the paper that like while she was at the general hospital, the nurses were quite kind to her. So Snooks then feels very obligated to the hospital mm. in the years afterwards. Mm. And uh, by the time of Caroline's death, most of their kids are all adults. But then sometimes the kids have their own adventures. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which brings us all the way back to 1894 in a case called The Seduction of Snooks. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1894, Snooks's daughter Caroline was 16 and she had slept with a man two years older than her and <gasps> got pregnant. Scandal. This wasn't technically illegal, but Ginger tried to take the man to court on charges of seduction. Because <laughs> apparently you could You're charge too a man. sexy. <laughs> Basically. And apparently it was like a valid thing you could try someone for because the case went to trial. Huh. It didn't work out in their favor because obviously it slanted more towards the man and the person who was not related to Ginger Snook. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. But the guy was acquitted and there's no real further update on that. But as like life goes on, Snook accumulates more and more grandkids and does often mention loving his grandkids when oh. they come up. I bet he would have been a fun grandpa, like probably a oh. weird dad, but like as a grandpa, I bet he was great. If you don't have to like live with him all the time, I bet he was a blast. I bet he gave <laughs> like good gifts, you know? Probably. He's like that kind of guy. Oh, totally. It has like weird stories. Yeah. So when we hit the mid 1910s, he starts running for the board of control. This doesn't exist anymore. Basically, the Board of Control handled financial settlements are like hiring contractors. Mm -hmm. And Snook keeps trying to run for Board of Control. Oh, no. And keeps failing. 
And wow. in one notable year, he gives a sensible speech and the Tribune's like, he gave a boring speech. What was the point <laughs> of that? Oh, man. And at this point, Snooks is in his mid-70s. Oh, wow. So he's starting to slow down. So we're going to really like whiz through the like mid-1910s. Um, during his 1914 run for alderman, he declared himself the champion of the people. And apparently, according to the Tribune, he wore the first straw hat of the season. Okay, I don't know what that means. Nope. He later complained that uh, because of the policeman's heavy winter coats, you can't tell they're cops, and he never knows when he can spin on the sidewalk safety or safely. <laughs> that was that was illegal and also a public health issue. I, I mean, I think he might be missing the point that you're supposed to follow the laws even when the police aren't looking. <laughs> no, he'll only spit on the sidewalk if there aren't cops around, but if the cops are in disguise, how will he know when to spit? <laughs> uh, then he gives a huge box of oranges to war nurses and then pays to furnish a ward of the general hospital in his wife's name. Oh, that's nice. And then he has a thousand dollars robbed from him at the Union Bank. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez, that's a lot, too. Yeah, he was taking $1,000 out for who knows what. He was pickpocketed, and the robbers were apprehended in Toronto. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, they actually looked for them and found them. And then he takes to advocating uh, for women's presence on city council to clear out corruption. So he's pro-having women in politics. That's good. I mean... I don't know that women should be charged with getting rid of corruption. That seems like a big task. No, and I don't think if women were in politics, he would have thought City Hall was less corrupt. I think he would have just still blamed different people for it. And then um, allegedly during Prohibition, he found a side gig of collecting city drunks in back alleys and taking them to the police court. He got a dollar per body. (laughs) (laughs) Which Alex mentioned in our Prohibition episode already. Right. Yeah. Uh, then in 1919, I'm just, okay, but I have to pause on that mental image for a second of Ginger's car, just full of drunks, (laughs) like, just like piled high. Yeah. Also this man is in his mid seventies. Is he picking them up and like hauling them around on his own? (laughs) So kids go into the family business and help him pick up drunks. Maybe, uh, one of his sons does go into scavenging actually. Okay. And then his son, uh, dies in a. A uh, carriage accident because he gets knocked out of his carriage and run over by horses. Oh no! Which is sad, but seemingly a family legacy. Apparently, but Maybe that's like stay away from horses. That's in the 1930s. So that's like much well past the point of the story. Mm-hmm. And all of his daughters survive. There are like genuinely Snooks relatives running around in Ooh. the universe somewhere. Wow, which is weird to think about. Yeah, I wonder what they're like. Um, so Bruce Cherney interviewed one of them in the Winnipeg Real Estate News, actually, and she said her grandfather, her great-grandfather was a character, and she doesn't know how much of this was true. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) So she seems level-headed. Yeah. But as we move into 1919, we hit a really big year for uh, Winnipeg and also for Ginger Snooks. It's probably fairly well known, at least for people who listen to a Winnipeg history podcast, that in 1919, (laughs) there was a six-week-long general strike from May to June. And most Winnipeg workers went on strike, unionized or otherwise, and this actually included many of Winnipeg's scavenger and sanitation workers, Mm. with the notable notable exception of Ginger Snook. (laughs) 
Snook, who was 84 years old when this happened, was the lone garbage man in Winnipeg for most of the strike. Oh, no. And at this point, his eyesight was getting dodgy. He was half blind. (laughs) And he, at at various points throughout the six weeks, claims he's being attacked for being a scab, which is possible, or he was attacked because he's Ginger Snook. Yeah. (laughs) Both are, I would say, equally plausible. Um... One story was that he was attacked by multiple men and he had to start carrying a baseball bat with him at all times. Oh. So he's like armed throughout the duration of the strike. And then following that in 1920 and 1921, he's called to testify in the Winnipeg general strike trials. Oh my God. AJ Andrews puts this man on the stand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet the Tribune was just like salivating at the thought of this. Oh, probably. And he was asked if he disliked unions, and he said he didn't really have a strong opinion. He just didn't want them interfering with his own work. Okay. But the weird addendum to all of this is going back into 1898, 35 women workers walked off a job at a uh, clothing manufacturer's, and he donated $25 to the strike fund. Oh. So, yeah. A man of multitudes is what he is. Yeah, I don't know that I would expect a guy like that to be, like, ideologically consistent. No, no, I think it's whatever mood he's in is the mood he's in. And, like, whoever has most recently been nice to him, probably. Yeah, I think so. Now, following the strike, Stokes' health begins to decline because he is in his mid-80s in 1919. (laughs) But also, he begins to face financial troubles. So over the years, he'd actually, he tends to overspend and over mortgage his properties and was actually finding himself in increasingly tougher financial spots. And he actually went to court to try and get his money back more for his kids and grandkids and the courts refused. And he actually even wrote to Winston Churchill for help. <laughs> and Winston Churchill replied. No. Yeah. And oh. he's like, I can't help you because like, I'm not going to interfere in Canadian politics, yeah. especially Winnipeg municipal politics. Especially when, like, what you're asking is, like, I spent money. Can I have my money? No. Yeah. So he loses the appeal because, obviously, this is all his own fault. And then he just breaks down crying in the courtroom and sobs there for hours. Oh, Ginger. Okay, that's genuinely so sad. It's really sad. And then after this, his health starts to decline more and more frequently. So this is about uh, 1924 by this point. And then he still keeps turning up at City Hall. Um, At one point, it's to inform the mayor personally about his eyesight trouble. Okay. And then in late 1926, at 91 years old, he's still showing up to curse at city council members. Wow. But then in November of 1926, he catches bronchitis, which brings on a heart attack, and he's hospitalized, and he dies not long after. Yeah. But a city alderman who goes to visit Snook said that Snook accurately predicted he wasn't going to be around for much longer. He just said, like, this is going to be it for me. Uh So he dies on November 18th, 1926, at the Winnipeg General Hospital, and his funeral becomes kind of a big affair. So, like, there's Winnipeg old-timers, his relatives, personal friends. There's about 150 people, if not more, at his funeral. There's a long line of cars, and it's a big deal. Right. Everyone turns up. Um, And it's mentioned in the Tribune obituary that the current Winnipeg mayor called him the counter-irritant of civic politics. (laughs) (laughs) And the free press talks a lot about sort of the loss of this really colorful character in Winnipeg history. But his obituary in the Tribune is a full page long. 
Wow. It is huge. And it brings up something we haven't talked about yet, which is Snooks' career before coming to Winnipeg in the pamphlet he published about it, because Snooks wrote his own autobiography. (gasps) Oh, amazing. (laughs) Which I can't find anywhere. It doesn't seem to be online. I'm sure there's a family copy somewhere, but I wasn't going to reach out and be like, hey, I'm doing a whole podcast making fun of your (laughs) great-grandfather. Celebrating the life of your great-grandfather. I think so. But basically what we know from this is that he's born to a large family and was employed in a workhouse by the age of 12. And then in 1853, he enrolls to fight in the Crimean War. And then he contracts Maltese fever along with 400 fellow officers. And then he's in the army for about 10 years and then enlists in a local police force in London and was a cop for a while. And in this capacity, he had a number of thrilling experiences. (laughs) Outstanding among which was his connection with the conviction of William Wainwright along for the murder of Harriet Lame. Hmm. So basically, there's this murder case in England where Harriet or Henry Wainwright kills his mistress Harriet Lane and buries her under the floorboards of a warehouse he owns. Okay. And then the case comes to light when he sells his warehouse and has to get rid of the corpse, which stinks. Ah. Uh. And then a cop finds him disposing of the body. Right. And at the time, this case had more publicity than Jack the Ripper. This is like 1874. Right. Okay. And Snooks claims to have been involved in some capacity, but there's no mention of him in the paper. Okay. There's one named officer and one unnamed officer. So the unnamed one could be Snook, but we don't know. And also, he might have made it up. Right. So I feel like probably (laughs) Snooks was a cop, but maybe like beyond that, we don't know. There's like there's information that he did work as a cop, but we don't know what cases he was involved with. Right. He also claims he in, uh, arrested the king of burglars, Charles Peace, and there's no way to prove this either. <laughs> and then later, while he's working for the CPR, he claims to have either witnessed or driven the last spike of the CPR rally in 1885. And I don't think that's true. No, so there's no way he actually <laughs> did it because there's a picture of Donald Smith driving in the last spike, but he could have been in the crowd. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, I feel like to some extent, this is like a lost art of the past is like the tall tale. Mm. Really is, yeah. You know, you uh, can't just say things anymore. No, you really can't. <laughs> and what a crime you can't just say, I drove the last spike of the CPR railway in. Because like everyone might be like, come on, no, you didn't. But like, how are they going to check? Okay, you know who still does this though? Middle schoolers. Middle schoolers <laughs> still lie like this. That's true. <laughs> So the other claim Snooks makes is that while he's working on the railroad, he takes to uh, to carrying around a pickaxe to keep order among the CPR gangs and claims he (laughs) fought off 20 workers at one time. Oh, man. Ninja Snooks. Maybe. And then he moves to Winnipeg and his career begins as we know it in earnest. And I've actually compiled some um, fun Snooks statistics for you guys. Okay. Namely in that Snooks annoyed 23 mayors across his life in Winnipeg. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Mayor served one term, one year terms at, for a while during that. So that's why there's so many these days, it would be much less, but there right. were a lot of mayors coming through who had to deal with Snooks personally. <laughs> and here are some of his many complaints that he raged against city hall officials. He was actually nicknamed the man with the grievance for a while. <laughs> so he complained about rates going up, water bylaws, the state of uh, Osborne Street, the state of Arlington Street, school policies, water drainage, Dukabor immigrants getting jobs. Okay. He, he did not like Dukabors. Okay. Maybe because they're stealing his jobs. It's really unclear because nothing he ever says about them makes sense. He once threatens right. to drive them to the nuisance grounds himself. Jeez. 
But then there's a really weird anecdote about this where at one point a Brandon linguist comes in to try and talk about the Dukabor language. He sees Snook on the street, and I guess based on Snook's gross appearance, assumes he's a Dukabor or immigrant. Oh no. <laughs> and the linguist then tries to talk to Ginger in that language, and Ginger just rolls with it. <laughs> uh, he then complains about crematorium rates, someone scavenging without a license, the health department discriminating against him, the weight of bread, it weighs too little for its price. <laughs> um, drainage ditches, the prices of oats going up, handkerchiefs. This one's unclear. I don't understand his beef with handkerchiefs, but it comes up multiple times. He doesn't like them. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Um, he then complains about horses, sidewalks, and garbage. And then street cleaning being done too well. <laughs> um, it's a wide list of things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then um, from 1897 until 1917, he ran for some form of politics almost annually. Like there are a few years where he didn't run between like 1912 to 1913. But beyond that, he is in the election for something. It's impressive every time but my favorite one is in 1917 when he's running for the board of control again uh the winnipeg voice called his campaign pitiable oh and then he got caught trying to bribe an election officer <laughs> so no. um what happened was the city hired people to actually like supervise this and make sure there was an election fraud going on and snook bribed the cop and not the poll worker oh oh no <laughs> Uh, he later tried to argue in court that he was just trying to figure out how election slickers worked. <laughs> <laughs> Which is I was such just a claim. Pretending to do bribery. I was just testing the system. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sting operation. So there's all of this going on. And after his death, Snooks' life kind of takes on this like bizarre legacy of its own. We don't really talk about him today, obviously, because it's well past the point where he was alive. But in the decades that follow, he comes up in almost every recollection of Winnipeg in, like, the golden days. Oh, wow. So, like, there's multiple memoirs in the Tribune and the Free Press. People are like, oh, well, like, local characters at the time were Ginger. We remember Ginger doing this or that. He almost mm -hmm. always comes up. Mm. Um, multiple memoirs bring him up. Um, the Winnipeg, I think it's in the Winnipeg Free Press, they call him the sauce and pepper and vinegar, especially vinegar of civic business. <laughs> <laughs> so there's these like really fond recollections of him like causing chaos and causing problems and talking to people and getting his way in politics that's fun and then notably um during a list of prominent historic events in the tribune in 1970 they list snooks's death as a prominent historic event in the city oh wow yeah so this is like 50 years later they're still like we remember this guy like city council meetings were probably a lot quieter all of a sudden a lot different but then um, in the 1950s, the city of Winnipeg starts landscaping the old dump into a recreational park. And this costs like $125,000. And the city starts trying to like suggest names for the old dump. And there's some that are a little more like normal, like Matroski Park or Fairview mm -hmm. Ski Hill, Jubilee Park. But some of the names that come up are Ginger Snooks' Paradise in Snooks' Mountain. Aww. Because this is the dump he helped build. That's sweet. And eventually they name it Westview Park which is still around today, and it's better known as Garbage Hill. Ah, oh. uh, that's where I always went tobogganing as a kid. Snooks helped build Garbage Hill. 
Thanks, Ginger. I did almost break my leg there once. (laughs) As he would have wanted, probably. Probably. (laughs) So for those who don't know, Garbage Hill is a city park on the north end of the city. And it's kind of a local landmark. I didn't grow up in Winnipeg, so it's not like a thing I experienced. But there is now a like faux Hollywood Garbage Hill sign there. It's like a big, um, yeah, just a big hill. You go toboggan down it in the winter. Gets pretty icy and dangerous. Which yeah. is why I almost hurt myself, or it did is, hurt myself, but yeah. The fun way of doing it, basically. Yeah. Um, and then later on, uh, James Gray publishes a book called The Boy from Winnipeg. James Gray was a like historian and journalist in Winnipeg for many years. We're using so, him a lot this season. We really are, but he wrote a lot about sort of the boom town in Winnipeg. His books came out mostly in the like mid-60s to mid-70s. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, the boy from Winnipeg mostly talks about his experiences growing up in Winnipeg in the 1910s and 20s and actually includes a full chapter titled The Horse-Powered Symphony and Ginger Snooks. Hmm. So he gets a full chapter in the book and he talks a little bit about the way horses were used in okay. Winnipeg at the time because he liked horses as a kid. And then according to James Gray, Snook could only have existed in the age of horses because <laughs> it's the Wild West. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's also, yeah, you know, you can't shout as people as well from a car as from a cart. So Yeah, absolutely. And then um, his description of Snook circa 1970 is this. He was the original wild Irishman whose entire life was spent in a rage against the world. Ginger was a free enterprising cartage man with a weakness for getting into deals with the city. His deals always went sour, however, so he was frequently embroiled in threatened lawsuits or in appeals to the city with provisions to contracts. But in addition to his notorious temper, Ginger Snooks had a vocabulary which consisted almost entirely of the earthiest of Anglo-Saxon words. When Ginger Snooks invaded City Hall, it was a signal for all the clerk girls to get out of earshot and preferably out of the building for Ginger had a voice that carried. <laughs> he also claims that kids had a dirty limerick about Ginger that was never put to print. So kids this... would follow him and sing a rude limerick at him. Oh my God. <laughs> just he... ignore it. Does he say what the limerick was? No, and I wish he would. Oh, There's no mention. Loss. But then Snook comes up again in James Gray's book on Prohibition and Colonel George Ham's book Reminiscences of a Raconteur, which is a book on like being a newspaper man in the 20s. And then he comes up again in a more recent book called The State Trembled, which is a really fantastic book on the Winnipeg general strike. And then he's also in a five-part series in the Winnipeg Real Estate News. So like this man has a <laughs> fairly lasting legacy in like local history and memoirs. We should mention that the Winnipeg Real Estate News does, like, weirdly good history. Their history is fantastic. It doesn't, based on the name, you wouldn't think that. It's, like, an excellent source for weird local news like this. Yeah. So, I don't know. I find this legacy really fascinating, because by all accounts, he's sort of an average garbage man. (laughs) And then (laughs) he becomes this figure that people remember, like, like, a hundred years after his death. Yeah. You know, I feel like we should all be like a little more like Ginger, like not not in that we should go getting into street fights, but like go yell at your city councilors. Yeah, I mean, I love the that. that can, the one that you can say about him is he cared about yep. everything. Maybe, <laughs> whether or not he should have is, I think, the real question. Yeah, maybe don't go yell at your city councilors at like every meeting. Yeah. The other thing I have prepared very quickly is um, just like a list of some of the Tribune jokes they made about him. Oh, excellent. Because the Tribune was also fans of one-liners in like quips when they had slow news days. So I've just put together my favorites of what they said about Ginger over the years. <laughs> There's uh, bring Ginger an anchor churn and an onion he wants to weep. <laughs> this is a handkerchief, which again, he has a feud with. 
for a reason <laughs> I can't figure out. Uh, the Tribune then continues, the Tribune decides to give out royal titles and declares the order of the bath on Ginger who needs it more than anyone we can think of. <laughs> How rude. And then Ginger Snooks is suffering from lung trouble, which is little wonder considering he shouted for nigh on 60 years. <laughs> and then uh, Brother Snook is one of the sons of England and he is no jelly bag, but a Grampus. He says he's only good <laughs> for the dumping ground out in McDonald. Okay, he is no what? No jelly bag, but a Grampus. Okay, sure. I don't common, know what common I do. phrases. <laughs> we still call people jelly bags, right? That's a that's a saying. We still use. <laughs> um, and then if Ginger is elected, he promises to wear a handkerchief. Oh wow! Okay, so <laughs> the last time Ginger wore a handkerchief, really going he against found... his principles here. Yeah, but then the last time Ginger wore a handkerchief, he found that after continuous use for several weeks, it became high, so he abandoned its use as impractical and superfluous. <laughs> uh. Ginger Snook is now free to put on the uniform. He could surely chase the Germans out of Belgium. This is during World War One. He's frequently talking about wanting to enlist in the war, but being ah. too old to do it. <laughs> and then in 1917, there is a callback to the onion joke where they say, and to think that Ginger Snook broke the election law brings us an onion and an handkerchief because we want to weep. Oh, this is, to be clear, six years after the original onion and handkerchief joke. Does ever like has everyone been like retelling that joke for six years in Winnipeg? Do you think? I don't know. If Ginger ever attains the peerage, and why not, he will doubtless take the title of Lord Handkerchief. <laughs> I don't know. Ginger is figuring out that he, if you were permitted to put the votes of the last twenty years together, he might come pretty close to winning something. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. And then um, a civic election without Ginger as candidate is worse than the play of Hamlet without the ghost. <laughs> and the final one, which is just, the, I think, the most Ginger Snooks lie. The rumor that Ginger Snooks took a bath is angrily and empathetically denied by that gent. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Ginger Snooks in a nutshell. And I think a lot of it is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I also actually don't know how much it matters. No, like I say, it's like the lost the lost art of the tall tale, right? Yeah, and I think at this point, like the character of Ginger Snook and Robert Snook as a real living human being are so intertwined in like mm -hmm. how the public remembers him and his influence on the city. It's probably not worthwhile to try and figure out what actually happened here. And it sounds like toward the end, he even became kind of like aware of that character that he was, right? Yeah. And I don't know, I just think he's a fascinating sort of like, indication of what Winnipeg was like at the time and what Winnipeg is like as a city now because Ginger Snooks feels like someone that could exist. A hundred percent. And I know people that are similar but not like they're not like angry and don't take a bath the same way but I have similar <laughs> stories about people. I think Winnipeg is just too like we're a little too big now to have like the one weird guy. Yeah but we've got a few weird guys. We've still. got a few now is the thing yeah. Yeah so both uh, got, like our little neighborhood weird guys. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And we need them. It's fun mm -hmm. local character. So that's There's a guy in my neighborhood. Sorry. Oh. No, go <laughs> ahead. It's a guy in my in my uh, parents' neighborhood who throws trash on the highway and watches cars run out run it over. <laughs> which I feel like Ginger Snooks would enjoy. He'd relate to that probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that is the story of Ginger Snook, who is my favorite Winnipeg figure, and hopefully everyone else appreciates almost as much as I do. 
And I'm so glad you finally got to use all of those articles you've been saving. <laughs> yeah, I'm finally free of the curse of Ginger Snooks. I can stop thinking about this. <laughs> I have my outlet. It's done. <laughs> but will you? No, probably not. I'm sure I'll find something else weird in a week or two while looking into something different. And then we'll do Ginger Snooks the sequel. <laughs> God, I hope not. I don't know how many more files <laughs> I can find. <laughs> Have to just like uh, every every episode will be like the Snooks report and be like a new piece of trivia or something about <laughs> I, yeah. some new weird story about him. Yeah. So thank you for listening to my very weird Winnipeg passion project, and uh, there are going to be pictures and some of the weirder articles I couldn't find a way to fit into this narrative on the website. So you can visit it at onegreathistory.wordpress.com. There are stories about him visiting the Tribune office to tell nothing stories or him killing bugs that made the news. It's a lot of not news stories, but they're fun <laughs> to read. And we've also got sources, so stuff like the uh, five-part series on his life, if you want to read that. And you can always give us a follow on social media at um, One Great History at Facebook and Instagram and One Great History at the number one on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Yay!